You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So, we're working through the book of Mark, and if you were here last week, you know we had a great debate. Uh, Many of you were the ones voting, and we had ping pong balls, and everyone came up and voted over which is the greatest, condiment, ketchup, or salsa. And uh, you came and voted, and I was a proponent for salsa, but the masses have spoken, and ketchup won. And I'll admit, I was a little disappointed. It struggled the first part of the week, but I got over it. Uh, and just to show you that I'm, I'm a man that can rise above the disappointment uh, of your poor voting, um, I, I got everyone a gift, or a representative a gift. So I need someone who voted for salsa last week. Connie, I think that was the first one. If you can come on up. Who voted for ketchup? Someone willing to admit they voted for ketchup. I, I can't see who it is because of the lights, but someone there with sunglasses on their head. Come on up. All right. For, for uh, the salsa people, I got you chips and salsa. So congratulations, salsa people. See, I'm not bitter. There you go. And for the ketchup people, I got you chips and ketchup. How do you guys like that? Now which is better, ketchup or salsa? So, take that, ketchup people. Uh, that was actually Sarah's idea. When she said it, I was so proud. I was like, that's awesome. Um, so we're going through the book of Mark, and this morning we got to a section that uh, a year ago when we were looking at Mark, I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, this week, actually, I emailed our prayer team and said, would you be praying over this passage, praying over the words that are spoken this morning? It's a hard one. If you are following along, if you've looked ahead, you know, ooh, this is going to be touchy. We're in Mark chapter 10. And so in this passage, we get to Jesus. They, the Pharisees come, and they're asking him hot-button hot topics, and they bring up the topic of marriage and divorce and remarriage. It was a hot topic 2,000 years ago. It is today. Marriage is uh, a sacred institution, and yet culture has its own way with, with this uh, sacred thing. And so now with culture, we have debates over who can get married. We have uh, this way that we can get out of marriage through divorce. And statistics show 42% of marriages end in a divorce. We even have uh, people saying, well, I'll get around this idea of marriage because I don't want the consequence of a divorce and, and just settle with living together. All of this is outside of God's plan. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it, it might hit home. It might hurt a little bit for some people. When we see Jesus' words, it might sting. And so I just ask if you guys will pray with me as we go into this. Uh, I apologize. We get a visiting church here. And this is like the most controversial topic that we're going to hit on Mark. So welcome. Uh, but... <laughs> We, uh, we're going to dive into this, and if you guys will just pray that God's word is spoken this morning. Lord, uh, we just come before you, and we just pray the passage from 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks, let them do so as if speaking the very words of God. God, let these be your words spoken here this morning. Let us follow what you have to say. God, we lift this up in your name. Amen. This week we're looking at a passage in Mark, a very specific passage that the Pharisees have come to Jesus with a specific question. 
When we're looking at marriage and divorce, we can't incorporate every scenario. The Bible doesn't, uh, in this passage, doesn't address all these scenarios. Many of these we have to dive into looking at other passages, and, and if we were to hit every scenario in marriage, we would be here all morning, and we wouldn't be able to still cover them all. There, there's ideas, there's, there's things that we're not going to touch on this morning, such as if my spouse is an unbeliever, what do I do? I've been abused. What should I do? My spouse left me for someone else. What should I do? I'm divorced and single. What should I do? I'm divorced and remarried. What should I do? While a believer, I divorced my spouse. Now what? And so there's many different aspects, many different angles when we're looking at this subject that to, to paint a general idea is a little hard. There's many different individual scenarios. And, and for those, I, I want to encourage you to to talk to someone if you have questions on where is God's word and be able to dive into that. For some of those, it might look like counseling. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you. We, we know several different, with several great counselors, uh, and the church even has a, a fund set aside to be able to help people work through counseling. And so if that's something you need, come talk to us. We'd love to be able to help you through that. But our focus this morning is on the text of Mark. And we're going to be diving into that Mark chapter 10 and see what Jesus has to say about this topic. And so if you have your Bibles or your journals, go ahead and open it. Bring up the app. It'll be up on, on the screens. And we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left the place and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as, his was, as was his custom, he taught them. I love that sentence. Just to begin this, that we're coming before Jesus to learn, to see what Jesus has to say, to see what God has to say about any topic, specifically today about marriage and divorce and remarriage, to be able to learn. And so they come around and they sit and they listen to him. So some Pharisees came and testing him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Divorce was a raging debate at the time. The Roman world believed that divorce was okay, and in the Jewish world, there was two different philosophies, two different beliefs. They, oftentimes, the Jews would follow what a certain rabbi would say, and there'd be a school of thought of that rabbi. And so that rabbi might teach one thing, and then people that have learned under him, other rabbis, will continue that same teaching. And so it's almost this, this tree of thought, this tree of knowledge. And so there was two different ideas about rabbis that had died long before the time of Jesus. First was the, the school of Shammai. Uh, Shammai was a rabbi that believed that the divorce was only uh, okay if there was a serious sexual offense. It doesn't specifically say what that would be, but that was usually an, an affair. And so that was the only time that divorce was okay in the Jewish community. This was a very conservative view. This was a very restrictive view. Uh, this was not the popular view at the time. There is also the view, the, the rabbinical tree of Hillel. And Hillel saw that you could divorce someone for pretty much any reason at all. And this idea, he had, there were several rabbi suggestions on when it was okay to divorce, whether it was burning dinner, going out in public without the woman's head covered, talking to a man, spinning in the public streets. I don't know why that would have been prohibited, but you cannot do that, right? Those reasons to, to get divorced. Not bearing children within the first 10 years or talking harshly to the husband's in-laws, all of which were reasons for divorce in this school of thought. And so the, the Pharisees come because they know that they have Jesus trapped. 
Jesus has been teaching about righteousness, about living uh, uh, in a righteous way, about living differently from the culture. And so they have him trapped, they feel. Because on one side, if he says the, the school of Shammai is the correct one, that you need to, that there's only these certain opportunities for divorce, very restrictive, very conservative, which would be consistent with his idea of righteous living, the crowd would turn against him. Because that wasn't the popular notion at the time. But if he goes with the idea of Hillel, that, that divorce is okay at any time, then he would go with the popular crowd, but it would be so different from his teaching on righteousness that he would seem contradictory. This idea of Halil, it was so loose that they, that they had the idea that men would come into a city, and the first thing they would do, they would ask, is there someone that I could marry for the weekend and divorce them? So it was two completely different extremes, but then... Mark makes sure that we know, in verse 1, he says, when they left that place, they went into the region of Judea, across from the Jordan. Do you remember who's been teaching at the Jordan? John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his head cut off for addressing this topic with Herod. He said that Herod was wrong for taking a second wife, and it led to his death. And so the Pharisees see, even if Jesus says that it's wrong to to get remarried, Herod's going to come in and and kill Jesus and take care of the problem for him. So they've set him up to be in this trap. And so, what is Jesus going to do? I love verse 3. He says, what did Moses command you? He replied. The reason I like this is because this is something that we could all take note of. When faced with a decision... When faced with a decision over what is the, the leading thought, whether it's the school of Hail or the school of Shammai, either way, it's the cultural thoughts. Either way, it was just what the culture was saying at the time, the conservative culture, the liberal culture. Neither of those were saying the scripture. And Jesus says, what does the scripture say? When we're faced with decisions in our life, Where are we turning to for advice? The Bible's full of of great advice. Sure, maybe not on specific things on how long to cook a hot pocket, but there's a lot of great advice on life, on, on marriage and divorce. On working hard, on, on how to find your, your path, on your plan for God's plan for your life, on, on what to do with relationships, on what to do when you're angry, on what to do when you're happy, on what to do when you're depressed. There's all kinds of biblical advice that we look to, and instead, we often turn to the culture. We see this in so many different places, that the culture says one thing. Even those contrary to clear scripture Scripture doesn't seem to fit with what culture is saying right now. And so we say, well, that verse doesn't quite mean that. Well, there's only one time that verse is spoken, and so we can't really go off of that. And we try to make it and twist it and morph it to what the culture is saying we need to be believing right now. And so Jesus is saying, don't look at the culture. Don't look at these two schools of thought. What does the text say? And they say, verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus replies, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law to Jesus. Wrote this law, Jesus replied. 
The law they're talking about is Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. We'll just look at it quickly. That's not the focus of today's text. It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, this word for indecent would mean something of sexual sin about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from her house, or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord. Your God has given you as an inheritance. Basically saying if one man divorces a woman and she goes on and she marries another person and he divorces her or he dies, either way, the first man can't marry, remarry her. The reason Moses is saying this, he's not advocating for divorce. He knows divorce is already happening. This law is to protect the women and children. This law is to prevent some guy from saying, you know what, I'm angry, you burnt my dinner. We're getting a divorce. Shoes her away, kicks her out of the house. He regrets it, realizes he doesn't like single life better. He goes and gets his old wife and says, we were married, you have to marry me again. And brings her back in. Divorces her again and then brings her back in. It's this idea that they would just see the women as something they could throw away that was inconvenient until they needed them back and then they'd go grab them again and say, you're my wife, you have to be married to me. So he was protecting the women and children from being abused in this system that man has corrupted. The system that man's corrupted of, of divorce. And so God says, yeah, yeah. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's what Moses said. He, he was sure, he said you could have a certificate of divorce, and, and he, he acknowledges that people get divorced, but, but let's go back a little further. Let's go back to what does Scripture say? What does, what does the beginning of time say? Because remember, in Genesis it says that, that, they, that they were there. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Jesus was there at creation, he created man and woman. And so he goes back to that, to the initial plan for marriage. It says, but at the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Rather than focusing on divorce, Jesus changes the whole thing and begins to focus on marriage, what it should be, what does it need to look like. He elevates marriage in this whole conversation, and he begins by looking at Genesis 127, that God designed man and woman to be married and that they belong together physically, emotionally, spiritually. He goes on and connects it with Genesis 2:24 that the man would then leave his family and cling to his wife. It wasn't talking about uh, where they lived. In fact, often they would live at the home of the husband's family. And they would build another home. And so it wasn't talking about setting up a physical distance. But now he would cling to his wife for everything. That in this marriage, the spouse was the top priority. Second to God, marriage should be our top priority. And so instead of letting our kids creep in to the priority, instead of letting our work creep in, instead of letting the pet peeves that we're annoyed with about our spouse creep in, our spouse needs to be our top priority. That we would leave everything 
and cling to them and become one. This idea is rooted in creation, that God created man. And then he wanted to bring a helper to man, and he creates woman from the rib of Adam. And so the two are now two separate, and he brings them together as one. Back to what original creation was, that they are now one. That at the union of a marriage before God, that the man and woman comes together, they become one. And what, what God has brought together, which was the original creation plan, let no man separate. The two have become one flesh. There's two, and this marriage is based on two pillars of, of commitment and oneness. This is what God is focusing on. That when he says they're joined together, the word Jesus used here is the word yoked. And, and this isn't the most romantic view of marriage. I, I don't know if I could use this in a wedding, but it's the idea of two oxen putting, being put together with a yoke. And because of that, they operate together in the same direction. And the farmer might be able to turn them, and together they turn. And because of that, the power of the two working together simultaneously in, in, in perfect harmony allows them to do greater work than either oxen could ever do by themselves. This is God's plan for marriage. This is the plan for you and your spouse if you're married, that you would be able to do greater work for God together than you could ever do apart. And so we have this passage, and it can be hard to look at this idea of marriage. And perhaps this morning you're here and your marriage is in a rocky place. Perhaps that divorce word has crept in, or rather even if it's not spoken, maybe it's in your mind, or, or maybe it's been spoken and proclaimed loudly. I want to encourage you to look at this passage and see what God's view is, to see what Jesus looks at. When he looks at divorce, when they've asked him about divorce, his focus is not just on divorce, on how to get out of a marriage, but his focus is how to stay in and make a great marriage, to be yoked together, to work unified to come together and be one as God intended in the Garden of Eden. The passage continues, and, and this is where we go through book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we hit a verse that a lot of churches might would rather skip when they're doing topical sermons. It says, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. In Matthew's uh, interpretation of this story, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. There's some question, why would Matthew add that part about except for sexual immorality and, and Mark and Luke don't? And the belief is Mark and Luke are writing to a Gentile audience, and, and that was already an understandable reason for divorce. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so he's making it clear which of these schools of thoughts is the correct one. But either way, Jesus' focus here is very significant. First thing we need to look at, so this is another example that Jesus is lifting up women. At this time, women didn't have legal right for divorce, and so Jesus is putting them on an equal plane. 
He says, if the man does it, here's the results. But also, if the woman does it, here's the results. And so he's lifting up women, but more importantly, he's elevating and highlighting the significance of marriage. I know there's people here that are divorced. Uh, According to the statistics, 42%. And I know they're divorced, and there's many that are remarried, and and this text might hit home and, and might hurt. And for those of you, I'm sure this is an uncomfortable one. And I think what we see is divorce is not God's plan. It never was. This plan at the Garden of Eden was to to bring the two back to be original creation of one, one flesh. And so no matter how we look at it, for whatever reason a divorce might have come, it wasn't God's plan. There might have been other factors in a marriage, sinful factors that led to that divorce, but those sins weren't God's plan. Unfaithfulness, abuse, those things were sins. Those were not God's plan in the Garden of Eden. And so divorce isn't God's plan. And I'm so thankful God, Jesus, died on the cross for those of us that have not always followed God's plan. Each of us has sinned. Each of us has done things that God didn't want in our life. That's why Jesus died on the cross. To take away those sins, to take away those things that would prevent us from spending eternity in heaven with God, Jesus took those away and brought forgiveness. So this divorce, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's not God's plan. But I will say Jesus died for those that are divorced. Jesus died for those that aren't. Jesus died for those that are remarried. Jesus died for those who have been faithful to one spouse their entire life. Because we all need Jesus. His love and forgiveness and sacrifice on the cross. But as we look at this idea of marriage, let us not miss these passages, these amazing passages of what the Bible says marriage can be. Uh, over and over we see in this story, Jesus continually brings it back to the importance and the, gra- and the gravity of what marriage is, how great it is. Look at this passage in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, Eric was talking about Ecclesiastes. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return on the, for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can they keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This picture of two coming together is a beautiful example of marriage. The author talks about the aspect of work. That idea that Jesus says that they're yoked together, that what two can do together is so much greater than what they would ever do individually. And I especially believe that for the kingdom of God. What we can do when we talk about find your place in his story, maybe it should be as a married, find your, as in plural, place in his story. That is together, what could you do for God and his story? This aspect of work is magnified as you come together. The author talks about this, you gain a constant help. That when you fall, someone's there to pick you up. When you're cold, someone's there to keep you warm. There's this idea of comfort and encouragement. That you're never meant to be alone. That, that as we leave, 
leave our fathers and mothers, leave our work, leave our kids, leave, leave our hobbies, that the one thing that we cling to most would be our spouse above anything else. We would find this comfort and help. We would find this encouragement. Then the author twists it that a cord of three strands, talking about one and two coming together, and then it says a cord of three strands not quickly broken, that God would be the focal point of our marriage, and it won't be quickly broken. I've talked to many couples, and they said, if I was a stronger believer, I don't think we would have got divorced. That if God is the centerpiece of this marriage, what would that marriage look like? Would it be different? If God was the centerpiece of your marriage, would it look different right now? Colossians 3 says, and it's another great verse, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Picture that as a beautiful verse on marriage. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together, in perfect harmony. And whatever you do, in words or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In all you do in your marriage, do as if working for the Lord, not for your spouse. And see what that does in our marriages. A good marriage I heard on the radio, and it was just such a beautiful illustration, and I love this, and I've held on to it for several years, it is a lot like a piano that it must be in tune. A lot of things can make a piano go out of tune, the humidity for one, and if it's really humid, it'll stretch the wood, which then stretches the, the strings and it goes out of tune, or less humidity, the, the wood condenses and the strings move, and, and a piano gets out of tune, and if you really love piano, you, you need to get it tuned fairly often just to make sure that, that it sounds just right. And so to, when they, a tuner comes and, and tunes your, your piano to one of these, it's a, it's a tuning fork, and each one is de set to vibrate, to resonate at a certain frequency. This one is at uh, the, the note C. And you can put it to your ear and you hear it louder, and, and it just continues to resonate at the level C. If we were to tune a piano... You don't want to tune it to the tuning fork. So that way you make sure that it's correct to see. No one ever tunes a piano to another piano. Because while they might sound the same, if that first piano is out of tune, then they're both out of tune. And in our marriage, we so often will compare to our spouse. Well, she's done this, and so I'll do that. She's worked hard, I'll work hard. She hasn't worked hard, I'm not going to work hard. That we end up tuning ourselves to our spouse instead of tuning ourselves to God. Imagine if both spouses tune themselves to God. How does God want me to be a husband today? How does God want me to treat him today? How does God want me to talk to her today? We're angry, we're fighting. Am I doing it in a godly way? Am I loving him in a godly way? What if instead of tuning to each other, we were tuning to God what a beautiful marriage that would be. A cord of three strands. It's not quickly broken. And so this morning, we're going to end 
and some time of prayer. Because that's the beginning of tuning to God. It's tuning your marriage to God and through prayer. And I'm fully aware, and we talked about that, that there's people here that aren't married, whether it's because you once were married and, and, you, and you are no longer, or maybe you just haven't been married yet, maybe because you're a child or a teen. I, I get that. But marriages need prayer. And so if you're not married, I want to encourage you to take the next few minutes to pray for a marriage you know. Maybe a neighbor, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a a, a, a sibling, maybe it's a friend. Please pray for someone else's marriage if that's the case. But if you're married, this morning, we have some prayer prompts provided by Family Life. We had prayer cards that I ordered and and they came in wrong and so we're going to have those for you in the next couple of weeks. But we have a couple of prayer prompts this morning to pray for your spouse. Ladies, I want to encourage you to pray for for your men. To lift them up before God. To bring into tune this marriage that you're first focused on God before you're focused on Him. What He has done great or what He's failing at. Because there's marriages in here that are just thriving and let those be focused on God there's marriages in here that are just stale we need to get those focused on God there's marriages in here that you're on your last leg and this is where we begin to bring healing is to focus on God ladies pray for your husbands lift them up that they could be the men that God wants them to be men Take the next couple minutes to pray for your wife earnestly, passionately, that they would be the woman that God wants them to be, not for your sake. Don't say this prayer that, well, if she would do that, then she would be a better wife. No, that she would be thriving for God. Let us tune our marriage to the Lord. So we're going to take the next couple minutes. I think we have some prayer prompts up here, up on the screen. And so we'll kind of scroll these through. Feel free to look up. Feel free to bow your head. Feel free to kneel. Feel free to stand. Feel free to grab your spouse's hand. Feel free to do whatever you need at this moment. But come before the Lord in prayer.